here today. It's a blessing to have uh, Pastor Jeremy Taylor, his wife Jennifer, and their children with us today. Uh, I look back on my calendar uh, this morning. The first time I met Brother Taylor was in the year 2000, and I was preaching in his the church where his dad, dad pastors in Walters, Oklahoma, and, and Brother Taylor was there as a teenager, and I didn't know his wife at that time, and he, the Lord brought him and Jennifer together, and we've been close friends for all these years, and I say this in all sincerity. I, there's not a man in the ministry I respect more than Brother Taylor. I cherish his friendship, and it's just a blessing to have him and his family with us uh, today. And by the way, Mrs. Taylor, you get to know her, but her parents are missionaries, have been missionaries in New Guinea for many years, and they're home now, but uh, serve the Lord there faithfully, so they're a missions-minded couple and family. And Brother Taylor's going to be preaching for us uh, every service. So, Brother Taylor, won't you come bring the word of God to us? Let's take our Bibles this morning. Be turning with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1 this morning that you're turning there. Let me say, first of all, it's just good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to be around God's people. Appreciate so very, very much. The accommodations, the beautiful apartment. We got in, got settled last night, and my boy come to me, he said, Dad. I said, what? He said, we've hit the jackpot. <laughs> I, I said, what are you talking about, son? He said, you seen this gift basket? I said, son, that's probably not the way you ought to approach it. And I said, let me see it. And he showed it to me. I said, man, we've hit the jackpot. This is great. But no, I really do thank you so very much for the wonderful accommodations and just the opportunity. I trust that we're looking forward to this week. I believe that God has something for us and try to draw us closer to him and certainly uh, to the issue of missions and our mind to be focused on what it ought to be. And so I'm looking forward to it. Brother Smith, thank you so very much for the invitation to be here. Uh, nothing is closer to the heart of God than the issue of missions, getting people with the gospel and to be asked to participate in a church's annual missions conference is certainly a high honor. And so thank you so very, very much. You've reached your place, Acts chapter 1. Let's stand this morning, those that are willing and able, give you one last chance to stretch your legs before we go to the three-hour message. <laughs> My wife says, don't laugh. Don't, don't encourage you. I'm kidding. Acts chapter number 1, want to look beginning in verse number 4, if you would. The Bible says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse number 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the privilege that is ours to be gathered in this place today. God, I very 
much pray from the very depth of my heart that you'll help us. I pray at this very moment you'd clear my mind, my thoughts. And God, may you guard my speech with us, saith the Lord. We want to get across with the right spirit and Father, to be both eloquent and efficient this morning, most of all effective, to be able to get to the hearts of your people this thought that you've laid upon me. I pray, God, you'll use us, you'll meet with us, do all that you want done. We'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. We are told here in the first chapter of the book of Acts that Jesus has assembled with his disciples upon the Mount of Olives right outside of Jerusalem. And just let me say this this morning, by the way, that's what a church does. A church assembles. It takes care of a whole lot of false doctrine, a lot of false problems in our world today. If people just realize that a church, a real scriptural New Testament church, is to assemble. But nonetheless, we see here that as they are gathered, Jesus instructs them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of God that they might receive the Holy Ghost of God. And I want you to understand with me this morning that when Jesus begins to talk to them, as often is the case, these disciples didn't quite get it. It just didn't quite sink in and make the impact that it ought to have in their heart. And we find in verse 6, look at what it says. It says, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now he's talking about giving them the empowerment of the Holy Ghost of God to be able to accomplish the work that God has for them. And yet the very first thing that they want to talk about is the kingdom. They asked, they go, they didn't ask him if he was going to restore, uh, uh, to build the kingdom or establish the kingdom, but are you going to restore? And no doubt when they're thinking about this, they're thinking about the long the lines of the nation of Israel when it was at its height. During the days of David and Solomon, when Israel had reached its glory, if we could say it that way. And they were under nobody's thumb, nobody's rule. They didn't have to answer to the Babylonians or the Persians. And certainly they didn't have to answer to the Romans. And these disciples had come and really, if you study the Gospels, they had asked this question in a number of different ways. And they were always worried about the kingdom. Uh, Lord, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? In fact, it was James's mom and John's mom that come and said can my sons have the honor in your kingdom one sitting on the left hand and the other right they were always concerned and their focus was on the kingdom and here's what Jesus tells them and just let me say this before we look in verse number seven I tell you this morning my friend if we're not careful we can get off focus in our Christian life you say what do you mean preacher while they should have been taking instruction, while they should have been listening intently to that which God had for them and wanted to speak to them about, their mind is on other things and really it was on whether their position and how great and their reputation and their notoriety. And I'll just tell you this morning, we better be real careful because it is easy to get off focus in our Christian life. 
The pastor came this morning and opened up with that very statement, especially about the things we're dealing with in our day and age and how we just need to be reminded of what our responsibility and our job is about witnessing and trying to reach people with the gospel. Verse 7, Jesus comes and he says this unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In other words, you're not focusing on the right thing. You're, you're not thinking. It's, he didn't say those things aren't important and those things don't have their place. I tell you this morning, there are a lot of things that weigh upon our hearts, our lives as God's people. And there's a lot of things, certainly with the political climate of our world, the riots that have taken place across this country, uh, certainly the virus and other things that you personally deal with. Those things have their place, and we're not saying those are not important. And the Lord wasn't telling them that the kingdom wasn't important. He said, listen, the real issue is what you need to be focused on, what you need to understand is that the Holy Ghost of God is going to be given to you to accomplish the work that God has for you. You need to focus on the right thing. Verse number eight, here's what he says. Notice that first word there, but. Again, here's what you need. Not that these things don't have their place and they're not important, but this is what you really need to be centered on and prepared for. And this morning, I want us to look at verse number eight. And I want to do something that's probably a little bit out of my norm probably won't see this structure of outline the rest of the week. But what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of things in this verse. And I want to get somewhere. Just bear with me a little bit this morning if you would. Because I believe there is something that's very practical here that will help us if we'll pay attention and get a hold of it. As we look at this verse, I want you to first of all notice with me the power available. Notice that Jesus tells them they shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The word power, as probably many of you are aware of, is the same word we get the word dynamite from. This is not talking about authority. This is talking about ability. God says, I'm going to give you the ability to accomplish the work of God. I personally believe, for whatever it's worth to you today, that authority had already been given to this church, especially in John chapter 20, 21, when they were in the upper room and the Lord breathed on them and he met with them and he said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. I believe that was the authority given to that church, but my friend, they still needed the ability, the power to be able to accomplish what was beyond them. And I tell you this morning, we sometimes look at the task of world missions. We look at the task of evangelism and trying to reach our own communities and reach out to people that need Jesus Christ. And I'll just be real honest with you. It's easy, at least it is for me this morning, to get real overwhelmed with this task as it's laid out before us. So why is that, preacher? Because... We don't have the ability to win a world for Jesus Christ. I'll go beyond that. 
we don't have the ability to save one soul this morning. That's not within our power or ability. And thereby we need help. We need to be empowered by the Lord to be able to do what God has asked of us. And if you were to go with me to chapter number two, you'll find very clearly that they were given this power. Chapter two, verse four, the Holy Ghost comes upon the church, empowers them. Verse 14, Peter preaches the message. By the time you come to verse 37, they are convicted in their heart about their sin. They began to seek out, what do we do about this? By the time you come to verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, you'll find that over 3,000 people got saved by the grace of God. I, I tell you this morning, God gave them power. But it ought to help you this morning encourage your heart to know that as a New Testament church that has scriptural authority, you have also been given the same power, the same ability to be able to accomplish that which God has for you. We can. In fact, I'll tell you this morning that there were no other churches on the face of the planet except for Mount Zion Baptist Church. You were it today. I tell you this morning, the commission is still as real as it ever was. You have a job to do, and my friend, you have the ability from God, through the Spirit of God, to be able to do the work. Say, preacher, you just need to understand something. I don't know how it is in Duncan, Oklahoma, but here in Missouri, people are not near as receptive to the gospel. People are cold and indifferent and people aren't just opened up to receive Jesus. I, I tell you this morning, my friend, that that's people all across this world. They're lost. They've always been that way. Romans chapter 3 verse 11 and verse 12, the Bible is clear that there is none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. My friend, that is the idea. We, we can't somehow get and say, well, you know, we're just living in a different day and age. No, I understand the day in which we live, but it doesn't come down to the issue of how wicked man is. It comes down to the issue, do we believe God or not? Do we believe God has empowered his church to accomplish this task? We believe the Bible this morning, then the only answer we can give is a yes. He has. He's empowered his church to do this work. But notice something else with me, not just the power available but I want you to notice with me this morning the passion anticipated. It says you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And notice this. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Now the word witness is not what most of us probably would think of the word witness. We think of the word witness and immediately our mind thinks of somebody who takes the uh, stand in a courtroom and they began to testify of what they've seen, what they've heard, or what they've experienced. 
I will say this morning that that is needed in evangelizing and getting the gospel out. The greatest tool we have as God's people is our own personal witness, our own personal testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You look in the Bible and you find often, especially in the New Testament, multiple accounts of people just simply giving others what God has done for them. Especially the Apostle Paul. Over and over, he always, every opportunity he got, he talked to people about what happened to him in that day on the road to Damascus. Hey, you ought to be comfortable with your own testimony. You ought to know what the Lord has done for you. And you ought to be settled on that and you ought to have a desire. And there's certainly an aspect of that when it comes to evangelism and giving the gospel. But the word witness here is a word which actually comes from the same word. We get the word martyr. You know what a martyr is? Yeah, preacher, that's somebody who dies for a cause. I'll tell you this. Let me, let me maybe clarify a little bit on what the martyr is. A martyr doesn't set out to die. A martyr is willing to die because they've given their life to a cause. Does that make sense to you this morning? They're willing to die if that's what it takes. But they're not setting out like one of these suicide bombers or anything just to somehow gain rewards. My friend, a true martyr, a Christian martyr that gives their life for the cause of Christ, they didn't set out to die, but they were willing to die because they had given themselves to a cause. And I tell you this morning, there is a passion that ought to be anticipated from the very people of God. Jesus said once his church received power, then this passion is to be there. What drives them, what motivates them ought to be their passion for the one they gave their life to. You see, I'm of the belief this morning, if we're not careful, we've gotten this idea of surrender a little off kilter today. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? You hear often preaching, and I understand that we need to surrender to particular things, and I understand that it has its place, but surrender is not about a position. Surrender to preach, surrender to be a missionary, surrender to be a pastor, surrender to teach a Sunday school, surrender to the music. Surrender. It's not about position, it's about a person. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto Jesus. And my friend, as we surrender ourselves to him, then he ought to have the say-so of whatever position, whether it be a missionary or a pastor, or whether it just be somebody that cleans the carpet in the building, takes out the trash. Whatever God has for us, we ought to be willing to do it because we've given our lives to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. There's that passion that is there. I tell you, what I want to drive Bible Baptist Church in Duncan, Oklahoma, is not for us to be known for all the programs and activities, and certainly there's nothing wrong with those things in their place, 
But I want our church to be driven by a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. To be driven to give others what has been so graciously given to us. There's a passion that ought to be anticipated. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that ought to be the driving force of the house of God. You see this morning there's the passion anticipated, the power available. But then notice what it says. It says that she shall be witnesses unto me. And there is a plan that is advised. He lays out this plan how they're to do this and what they're to do. He says both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The, Jerusalem was their city. It was their location. It was where they were. It was their community that they were a part of. They lived there. They worked there. They operated there. They shot there. They traded there. It was everything around them on a daily basis. They're to be witnesses. They're to carry this message of the gospel to their own community. But not just that. They're to be witnesses in Samaria. Samaria would be the area around them. Where we are located in Oklahoma, we're about 40 miles north of the Red River that separates us from Texas. And that whole strip across the Red River they call Texoma. It's a particular area around us. That's kind of this idea of the area of Samaria. It's the, actually, it's the... Um, region right north of them and where they're located. But you know who was there? Samaritans. People that they looked down upon. People that they had a real disdain towards. And I'm going to tell you this morning, regardless of people's skin color, regardless of their race, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their economical status, you read over and over in the Bible about Jew and Gentile in the same house of God. I'm telling you, my friend, there ought to be people that we reach out to that, that, that are Samaritans in their dealings, and we ought to be willing to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's Jerusalem, there's Samaria, there's Judea, excuse me, then Samaria. I think I got off course here. Then there's the uttermost part of the earth. Back to the villages of the Philippines. That's to the northern tundra area of Russia. That's to the people of Chile. That's to the highlands of Papua New Guinea. That's to the Eskimos up on the north side of Alaska. It's to every place in this world. We've been commanded to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Here's what he says. He says both. Both. That's the plan of God. Amen. While we are doing our job, 
while we're doing all that we can to reach out to our community and get a hold of our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and those are at the same time we ought to be willing to go to Judea. We ought to have a plan to get into Samaria. We ought to have a plan to be able to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm telling you, get out. We, we as independent Baptists sometimes need to be very careful that we don't get into this idea, well, we're going to worry about ours, and then when we get established and we get settled and we're taken care of, then we'll worry about everybody else. My friend, that's not the plan of God. God wants us to reach our community at the same time have a vision and a heart for the rest of this world. And so there's the plan advised. But here's what I want you to see with me this morning. I want you to notice a little word that you see at the beginning of this. And look with me in verse number 8 when it says ye. Ye shall receive power. Ye shall be witnesses. Ye have a plan. I've got a plan for you. Here's what happens. Listen to me carefully this morning. When we come to missions conference, or we have a special day or service that emphasizes missions, if we're not careful in our mind, we'll begin to think, yeah, this is what the church needs to be doing. This is what the church needs to be doing. And I believe in the local church. Please don't, don't, don't get some idea that's not uh, right or accurate this morning. I believe that everything runs through the ministries. The Lord's work needs to run through the house of God because that's the authority that God has given. But here's what we're, if we're not careful. We began to look and we began to build this idea that, well, this is our job. And somehow we get lost in that terminology and that ideology. This is our job as a church, and so I hope the church reaches its goal in its faith promise commitment. I hope our church begins to take on a new missionary. I hope our church does this and our church does that. And those goals are great, but listen to me. If you're a member of this church, then these very things we've just discussed need to be personally accountable in your life. You so say, what are you talking about, preacher? The very things we discussed, because you know as well as I do this morning, that the church is not these walls or this building. The church is made up of the recognized membership of this congregation, the individuals. And if you're a member of Mount Zion Baptist Church, then the very things that God says his church should have ought to be accessible and evident in your personal life. So let me ask you three questions this morning. Number one, and I'll ask these of me, as I hope you would ask these of you before the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, and by the way, the title for the message is this. Missions and me. Amen. Not just missions and us. Missions and the church. Missions and the missionary. No, it's missions and me. Amen. What am I doing? We're going to focus a lot on this this week. 
I believe the Lord would have us to, to, to help take a real examination of our hearts and our life and our involvement in missions. So here's what we see. Number one, let me ask you this. Am I accessing this power? What do you mean? Am I accessing this power? If power was given to the Lord's church, and it was, and I'm a member of one of the Lord's churches, and I am, then my friend, the power that has been given to be able to impact with the gospel is accessible to me. I have the ability. Now, preacher, you just didn't understand. I, I don't know what to say, and I'm afraid I'll mess it up in my own ability. You will in your own ability, but that's why we need an ability that's beyond us that God said he would give. And my friend, if we'll access that ability, we'd be amazed at what God could use us to impact other people for Jesus Christ. We have the ability. So am I accessing this power? Am I walking with God? Am I praying that God will open doors for me? We're going to talk about prayer and missions this week. But I'm just going to tell you when it comes to me, I ought to be praying, God, open up a door. We, I have a part-time job uh, as a rural mail carrier at home on the weekend, on Saturdays, and a couple times through the week. I've been praying, been praying personally that God would open up some doors. We got a new sub came in a while back, and we both made it back to the office about the same time. And he said, he said, hey, 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 Jeremy, he said, I understand you pastor a church. I said, yeah. He said, how long have you been doing that? We got into a conversation and he told me, he said, man, I'm amazed. I said, what are you talking about? He said, somebody who's confident in their relationship with Christ, with the Lord. He, I said, you know, I said, Paul, you, you could have that same confidence. Listen, we're praying for Paul. I'm praying that God uses me. Why do you think God put me in his life? Why do you think God put you in other people's lives? There are people that you ought to be asking, Lord, open up the doors, open up their hearts, open up opportunities for me to share the gospel. Hey, the same God that saved you is still capable of saving other people in this day and age. It can happen. If you're saved this morning, hey, the same power it took to get a hold of your heart and bring salvation is available to others. So what am I doing? What am I doing to access this power? Am I praying? Am I asking the Lord for opportunities? Am I asking him to help? I've got a neighbor that we're praying just the other day, kids took over some cookies and some things and just trying to be a friend to our neighbor, asking God to open up some doors to be able to witness and share the gospel. What, what are we doing personally about this power? Let me ask you also this morning, not only am I accessing this power, but 
I'd ask you this morning, am I activating this passion? So what do you mean by that? What's your passion this morning? What is it that drives you and motivates you? Uh, if I could use the vernacular, what is it that makes you come alive? You, you get around some people and you talk about certain things and you watch their eyes light up. For some, it's money. You talk about money and they're, they're working this job, they've got this and that and all these uh, irons and fire trying to bring in income. And for some people, a lot of people in our world today, what drives them, what motivates them is money. For others, it's the uh, recognition of a career. For yet others, you talk to them, it's about their hobbies. Nothing wrong with hobbies and having interest and that kind of stuff. For some, it's their sports teams and those issues. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, what ought to motivate us, what ought to drive us, is knowing that there is a God in heaven that loves sinners like you and me and cares about a world that's lost and dying and going to hell. My friend, we ought to be driven. We ought to have a passion about us. We ought to come alive when we start talking about the, the, the ability of the Lord Jesus Christ to change a life. I appreciate so much the music this morning and the message in those songs about how the gospel changes us. You ever step back and think? I do often. I didn't get saved until I was 20, almost 21 years old. I thought about where my life was headed. I thought about all the anger and the bitterness and the things in my heart before I got saved. I think about this all the, uh, often. I think about how God got a hold of me. Brought conviction, showed me how lost and undone I was, and offered me hope. That's incredible. That's incredible that God would do that for us. We think about how lost we were. Well, preacher, I didn't get saved out of the world. I didn't get saved off of dope. I didn't get saved out of the bars. Hey. The same grace that it takes to save a drunk, it takes to save somebody from a church pew. Amen. If you're saved this morning, the grace of God is evident in your life. And there ought to be a passion. Now somebody says, ah, oh, preacher, I got what you're saying, but I'll be real honest with you this morning. I'm not sure that I have that passion like I ought to. I know I'm saved. I know that God changed my life. I understand that, but it just seems like I'm so distracted. It seems like I'm discouraged. I'm distraught. I'm depressed. Whatever you want to talk, preach. I just, I just don't have that passion like I ought to. There is a way to help activate that in your life. And please don't, don't, don't look at me like I'm talking some psychology and that kind of stuff. The Bible is clear. Let me read you a couple of verses and then I'll try to make a point with this idea. Let me read you some verses. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs 16 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We often take that Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 and say, well, you can really determine and see where somebody's heart is by where their treasure is. And that's true. I believe that. But you can also help direct your heart by directing your treasure. Put your treasure where it ought to be and you'd be amazed how your heart follows. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Let me challenge you this morning. You say, preacher, I'm just, uh, this passion isn't what it ought to be in my life. Listen, ask God to help you activate it. And what you ought to do is commit yourself to start trying to pass out a track. Start trying to engage people. Get involved in this subject of world missions and reaching people with the gospel. And my friend, the more you commit yourself to that, you'd be amazed how it will influence your heart and direct your heart towards God and towards what you're doing. I can give you another illustration of we understand this principle in other areas. We're we're preaching on it this morning in a positive direction. Take certain time out of your day. Commit in the first of the week. I'm going to pass out a track every day. I'm going to do commit. And you'll be amazed at how your heart follows. That's a positive thing. But we also understand it this morning in a negative, which makes this principle still true. For instance, at home, we teach and believe according to the scriptures. We're very guarded about our young people. We're guarded about who they are influenced by, who they run out with, run, who, they, who they have dealings with. We're, we're guarded with our young folks and the influence upon their life. We don't believe in dating and that kind of stuff. Why? Because if they're not careful, they commit that work. And guess what happens? Before you know it, their heart is attached. You understand with me this morning? They get involved in somewhere. They start a relationship. They allow that influence on them. And before you know it, what was just a curiosity has now brought emotional attachment there. And it's to the negative. Okay, we understand that principle in that context. But my friend, when it comes to missions and witnessing and trying to evangelize, we can help activate this passion. Commit our works unto the Lord. Be amazed how our heart will follow suit in these areas. Let me ask you this morning, am I accessing this power, this ability to be able to witness and win people with the gospel? Am I activating this passion? And then when I ask you a very simple question this morning, Am I advancing this plan? What am I personally doing to help advance the Great Commission? What am I doing to reach my Jerusalem? What am I doing to help win my Judea and my Samaria? What am I doing for the othermost part of the earth? Because As a member of God's house that has been given this grave responsibility, there needs to be some personal 
accountability. What am I doing? Am I passing out tracts? Am I inviting people to church? Am I trying to witness to them? Am I trying to give people my testimony? What am I doing for other places? That's why supporting missions is so important. Well, I can't be in two places at once. No, I understand that. That's why we reach our area and do what we do, and that's why we send people. That's why we get involved. That's why we, uh, uh, listen, I know it makes us uncomfortable sometimes, but it takes money to send. And it's that money, that financial commitment that draws us into a partnership with missionaries and ministries that are trying to get the gospel out. So, So what am I doing? What would God have me to do? And by the way, Paul was very clear. When you financially get involved beyond your Jerusalem, Everything that is done in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth is fruit that abounds to your account. The Lord understands that. He inspired it to be placed in his word. And thereby, because of that, we're rewarded for our involvement. We need to pay attention and we need to see what am I doing to advance this plan. There's practical things, not just financial. There's not what am I going to sign on the check and and am I going to up it from last year and, oh, you know. No. Have you ever been to the mission field? I I know things are different and I know that some things are shut down and travel's a little different. But I'm telling you, one of the greatest things that God's people can ever do is to visit the foreign mission field. You ought to start making plans. What can I do to help advance the cause of Christ? There's nothing closer. I said it when we started. There's nothing closer to the heart of God than world missions. And my friend, if we're going to love him, we're going to serve him, and we're going to love what he loves. We need to be advancing this plan to get the gospel beyond just our four walls, but get it to our community and get it to the world. It's about missions and me. Not just missions and us. Because then you say, well, if I I don't keep my commitment, eh, okay, it's all right. No, it's not all right. Uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't witness to anybody this week. That's not okay. God said that the church has power accessible to them. He said that there's a passion that ought to be anticipated. We ought to be willing to give our lives for him. Amen. Preacher, I'm willing to die. Well, how about just willing to live? Amen. Willing to live and do what he asked of you. And the great thing is, we don't have to come up with our own plan. God already laid it out in the scriptures on what the plan ought to be. 
So I ask you again this morning. Of these three things that are squarely pointed out here in this verse. It's about missions and me. What am I doing for these areas? Every head's bowed and every eye's closed this morning. I want to ask you a very serious question. Nobody's looking around. How many of you would be very, very honest this morning? between you and the Lord and you'd say, you know what? I could do better than what I'm doing. I, I really need, I really need to take a serious examination of me and my involvement of getting the gospel out. You're here this morning, every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You say, preacher, Jesus, pray for me. Pray for me this week that God will speak to me personally. Hands up all over the room. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. You be open. Very honest. Pray with me this morning. It's not just about the church and it's not just about brother so-and-so and whether he does more or sister so-and-so and whether she, what she commits and faith promise. It's about me. I owe my Savior a debt. And I want to do more than I've ever done. 